Hello, welcome to Not The BBC. So the following is a conversation I had with Anton Chaikin. Anton's a historian whose focus has been on looking at the lesser known and, and the suppressed parts of American history. He sees the history of America and in many ways the West as being history between two forces. On the one hand, you have the forces of imperialism, which want to suppress international development and, and have things like free trade as their, as their great mantra. And on the other hand, for the forces of republicanism and economic nationalism. He also wants to address some of the myths around industrial development and, and particularly the myth that sort of economic the economic developments of the Industrial Revolution came hand in hand with imperialism. He actually sees those as being opposed to one another. The forces of imperialism were not intimately involved with the great advances and it was actually Republicans in the circle of Benjamin Franklin who were doing this. So anyway, this is all fascinating history and we cover much of it uh, as well as sort of taking more of an up-to-date view of things and, and the state of affairs. Uh, and, you know, the reason I wanted to bring Anton on is given the geopolitical situation it's really important just to deepen people's understanding of, of our history and to get out of these very binary perspectives that either you're very apologetic for the empire or you have to sort of um, be simplistically unapologetic for it and I think this sort of depth this sort of history um, can can really help broaden the dialogue at a time when we really need it. Anton, welcome to Not the BBC. Hello. Yes, Sam, I'm, how are you? Very well, thanks. Um, thanks for coming on. This should be a very productive conversation. So I, I wrote a short piece on my blog um, a week ago about, about your book, Who We Are. And what I said was that the reason it's important is that these are quite, obviously there's high stakes stuff going on at the moment geopolitically, but more generally, these are quite demoralizing times to be a Westerner because you're kind of either faced with this really aggressive revisionism about everything, rejecting everything that we stand for, you know, pushed by the sort of wokists and, and the left. Um, but then, you know, likewise, people don't really have a lot to, those of us who kind of reject that also don't really have a clear understanding of who we are. And we don't find a, in the general understanding of what the empires were, we don't really kind of find a lot to love in that, right? So, we sort of end up, we find ourselves in this weird spot where we either have to kind of accept this aggressive revisionism or be kind of overly simplistically unapologetic for um, stuff that the empire did in the past, right? Because we don't really have a, the tools to critique that properly. And that's sort of what your your book seeks to do is to give us a sense of, of who we are and to address some of those misconceptions. Um, so we'll get, we'll, so that's why I thought it'd be great to have you on. We'll get to that, I guess, just as sort of as a starting point, be great to understand a little bit about who you are so the kind of what motivates your work and and perhaps mapping out your journey to kind of how you came to see um america's history and, and the history of the west in the way that you do be interesting to start have a good a bit of a picture of all that well i came into politics when i was about 12 years old my father was a lawyer and a Franklin Roosevelt man, and he, he did some very interesting things uh, before Hitler went to war to try to get get him out. So I had a background, a good background. And when I was uh, a young adult with some friends, uh, we saw that after the Kennedy assassination, there was a serious change 
in America's point of view. And then it got uh, to a change in the character of the country that was given to us top down to get rid of our industries and, uh, and to change the purpose of the country. Mm. Uh, so, so this was quite, this was quite a dramatic change. Yes. It, oh, it, it was, it was, quite overnight. It, was, it was a coup really. Uh, there were three murders among others, but the Kennedy brothers and Martin Luther King, all of whom shared the idea of promoting uh, the welfare of the population and peace between countries. Uh, and so when I, in my uh, work uh, to study what had happened, along with uh, friends of mine, uh, we saw that uh, the history of the United States had been also a victim of this change. That is, the history had been uh, blurred. And then, as you, as you mentioned recently, it got, it's gotten worse where there's a, an all-out attack on the, uh, on the positive aspects of, uh, of the United States and, and uh, really the West as a whole. But uh, so I studied uh, how the earlier achievements of the United States in particular, industry, that is the things that raise living standards, the ability to uh, uh, produce metals, the, the ability to, to travel fast, the ability to produce uh, uh, electricity, these things. I found that all of the advances were a result of the deliberate action and purpose and planning of people trying to improve the life of the population. Mm. This goes counter to both uh, Adam Smith, the uh, free market uh, guru, and Karl Marx, who didn't have a good sense of the history of the United States and England, although he was critical of the oligarchy in 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 uh in london uh yeah, you, talk, you talk a bit about this, hour, you talk a bit, a bit about this in the introduction how so adam smith yes. so there's kind of two simplistic explanations that our popular history teaches us one of them is that you know through the just this kind of very vague magic of the free market and laissez-faire these magical innovations sprung up or i guess is and then on the other hand, you've got Marx, which is just a more negative, like, oh, it was just basically capitalist exploitation, all for their own narrow self-interest. Are, are those how you characterize the two? Well, they both share this idea that it was the, uh, the change out of feudalism that allowed people with money to do what they wanted to, with that money to make a uh, profit. Mm. that guided and that, that, that brought about investments in new, uh, new technology, industry, and inventions. And otherwise, it was just purely accidental. Uh, but uh, it was basically greed that drove progress. Mm. And if you look at the Industrial Revolution in England and America, 
you find that this such a phenomena never happened at, at all. Uh, as I uh, will get to this later, but the the Industrial Revolution in England in the 1760s and 70s was uh, the the major breakthroughs. The canals, the steam engines, and other things, other great breakthroughs, were came from people dedicated to the public welfare, paid good wages, and had an optimistic view of life. Uh, in the United States, had to promote this through the government in the United States because they faced opposition to promoting industry from both the empire and slave owners. But in all of the breakthroughs that, that occurred in England, in America, it happened later in the 19th century primarily, and then some more with Franklin Roosevelt and Kennedy. But in all cases, there was a purpose to develop industry. And the opposition to this came from the greediest criminal elements in society, which is the London and later Wall Street financiers and the Southern slave owners who were a, 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 a partner of both Wall Street and London all throughout their existence. Wall Street came in later. And what, why would you say they, they opposed these measures? Well, what happened is that, it, first of all, Benjamin Franklin was in England for, for about 18 years before the American Revolution. He lived there as a representative of the colonies. And he had a circle of friends who were great hu humanists, humanitarians. Uh, they, were, they were believers in progress. They, they delighted in ideas. They were abolitionists against slavery, as was Franklin. And they, uh, they worked together as a, a, a particular group based in Birmingham. He had other circles in London and elsewhere, scientific circles, all, really in many countries. But these are the people that promoted the, uh, the uh, developments, the, the, the steam engine projects. Franklin was the science advisor. Uh, his fellow they brought from America, William Small, was the manager of the Soho factory where they did the work. Uh, Wedgwood, the great potter, uh, was the leader of, of creating England's canals. And he did so to develop the country as well as his own manufacturing. But it was never from the standpoint of making money. Mm. Uh, he saw that had been done in, by the, Peter the Great in Russia and by Colbert in France and by the and by Netherlands and by the Italian Renaissance when they built up their countries. That was the idea. Now, opposed to these men's viewpoint was the East India Company, the city of London financiers tied to that kind of imperial venture. There was also the Royal African Company. But the East India Company became a the the sort of uh, the the leader in in thought and action forming the new British Empire that came into existence around the 1780s, based on not simply subduing the world by force, but uh, doing what they did in India, what they did against other countries, was to stop them from getting the new powers over nature, the new industrial powers that England itself had just gotten 
Keep in mind that the city of London financiers and Shelburne, the, he was briefly prime minister, but he was, a, he was the leader of what became the British intelligence system. He was the master of that new system. Uh, he, was in the, he was a leader of the East India Company and also in, in, in the investment in Ireland. His point of view was that, uh, okay, we've had this, these advances in our power. We have a steam engine, we have metallurgy, we have all these advances. We're not gonna let any other country have these things. Mankind must learn to submit itself to our strategy through free trade, which England itself did not practice, mm. but it was the other countries that were supposed to admit these new manufacturers from England, which would subdue their own and stop their own development of manufacturing. That's the strategy. Yeah, so that, I guess he's thinking that in order to, as our, you know, us as a sort of narrow oligarchy who runs things in Britain, the, the way for us to entrench our power is to, is to make every nation globally kind of fit into our system of production right so basically feed raw materials um and basically just put provide inputs into the grand machine that we're running that we're financing as opposed to allowing them to develop a nationalist an economic nationalism themselves such that the economic value is more distributed right there's people who right. are um yeah in different but, kind of poles but keep in mind keep in mind that this is not promoting the development of wealth. The idea of wealth that, that Shelburne uh, does from uh, stealing from India, suppressing their industries, uh, taking slaves from Africa, this kind of thing, is like a pirate ship. You invest $1,000 in a pirate ship and they steal stuff from other ships and they make $10,000. So that's $9,000 of profit but there's no profit there. You just stole somebody else's goods. It's, it's, profit is when you invest in things that increase everybody's ability to produce at a higher level of technology and skills and science. And so imagine how, much, mm. imagine how much wealth could have been produced if Britain uh, did what the United States did for a long time, uh, which was to... Uh, help other countries to develop industry, to, to upgrade their, their living standards by increasing their power of production. We did that with Germany, Japan, Russia, and, and several other countries at our best. Um, yeah, and so one thing that I wanted to cover about this is that, so you say that you say in the book that the these advances in the UK, these people like James Watt, uh, you know, their work was not funded by the City of London. That's right. They were the, there was uh, there was capital uh, there in in uh, the, in their connections. A lot of them were th were with dissenters who had uh, some littler industries, maybe Quakers, but they uh, they had. Uh, concentrated projects, the steam engine project, the, uh, 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 the Wilkinson's uh, steel making, he had some contracts with the government. Uh, but they, the city of London had no part in this. And in fact, they were, uh, they were not hostile. Franklin was a friend of Lord Shelburne, who was the East India uh, mm -hmm. faction leader. 
but they were the in 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 strategic terms the greatest enemies uh, in the world. That they were the leaders of the two sides in world thinking. Mm. Uh, so uh, when you had these developments of the canals and the uh, and the um, uh, steam engine. Uh, there was no input from the city of London. Later on, you had the uh, creation of a factory system. Uh, for example, in Manchester, which had been started by this Franklin Circle, by the Duke of Bridgewater building a canal to, to bring a cheap coal and, uh, and jobs into uh, that little town and created the industrial city of Manchester. Now, so under, under the empire, uh, as time went on, uh, you had a very cruel factory system with a policy of cheap labor as the idea of the empire. Got to get this, uh, understand this. What Dick, when Dickens, uh, uh, you know, condemns this cruelty, Malthus as an idea man for it and the factory owners, uh, he, he represents an ordinary uh, human point of view that was, that was part of our society going back a long time. Uh, so what excuses these conditions, hmm. this cruelty, this kind of investment, which neglects uh, even keeping the workers of, who are doing the work alive? It, it's the idea that cheap labor uh, is a uh, is a way of governing mankind and keeping people from interfering in the power of those who are doing their wars and their various intrigues and their and they're also their degraded idea of human culture, they, yes. they, they, their philosophy. It's very yeah. I think the a cheap labor any sort of system that's predicated on cheap labor i mean that's symptomatic of a certain view of mankind isn't it a certain negative view of the capacity of, of man and so when your whole system is built around that i think it's it's very telling and obviously we see shades of that today with obviously the kind of structure of of the modern american empire is different with a lot of the manufacturing has been outshored and stuff like that as things it has a name now it has a name it's called the rules-based international order yeah and what's the rule? The rule is cheap labor, mm. buy uh, cheap and sell dear, uh, and uh, prevent any country or any other any political force from interfering in that cheap labor regime. Mm. Uh, China interfered with it when they judoed the American investment. In the 1970s, they, they turned it around by investing from China in the new cheap labor factories that had been set up and, and invested uh, uh, for education, for, for uh, infrastructure, to give China more actual powers, scientific and, and technological powers over nature, uh, so that they became uh, the country that was doing the most good in the world. Look at what this order means. It's purely destructive, the sanctions to break down countries. By the way, the sanctions are known by everyone to produce no result 
that is that changes the behavior of the people you're sanctioning. That's obvious. It's obviously no. You're what you're doing is trying to destroy the countries and their ability to interfere with this cheap labor order. So uh, uh, if you have uh, this uh, this idea of of uh, the, the 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 rules now. Uh, another rule is that you have a constant warfare. You have war going on in Africa. You have war going on in the Middle East. These are part of the system. The system is that, that it's, it's not only for the profits of arms manufacturers, although that has something to do with it. Uh, the war between Israel and its uh, neighbors and the Palestinians is a policy decision by this rules-based order. Uh, it, 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 to, to look at it through the eyes of people duped into revenge, uh, that it, it, revenge wars on this uh, locally, is silly because, because the, the, our culture for, throughout history knows that revenge is a means of making people act stupid. If you can stick them in a cycle of revenge, you can control them. Yeah, so this, in terms of the role of war strategically, I know um, economists like Michael Hudson, he talks about how the American empire relies on um, kind of military spending in order to, to finance itself. So it, it kind of relies on, because it relies on foreign banks buying US treasury debt in order to finance the dollar's current account deficit. Is that, is that how you view the strategic role? Are you thinking in other terms, in terms of why it's a critical it, piece of this ruling it, strategy? Sort of, but I, I, would, I would not use the term American empire. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't even say Anglo-American empire. I mean, the, the West is ruled by people who rule over, they're Anglo-Americans and they rule over England and the United States. Mm. But this ruling stratum, this, this clique, uh, is a traditional enemy of the United States of America. And, and I, if you go back far enough, it's the enemy of England as well. Yeah. In the United States, we had uh, a few periods when this enemy was banished from power briefly in some cases at the founding of the country it was it was progressive nationalists who who uh had a revolution against the empire yeah can, uh, we, can we talk can, can we talk yeah. a bit about that that particular period so um so in terms of, you know you have the american revolution in and we've also kind of covered briefly the work of the republicans in england sort of james Watt, these people who made these big breakthroughs in yeah. in industrial production how are we to understand, um, to the extent, you know, perhaps in, you can lay out the case in England and in America, but if they're the same, um, it might be that they sort of speak to a similar structure, but how are we to understand the power structure that supported them? So, you know, these people, so these, these industrialists like Duke of Bridgewater, were they, sort, were, were they kind of an old landowning class who were, you know, were oh. they, what what was the sort of, I suppose, elite sponsorship or what was the power structure that was opposing the, the imperial power structure? How do, they how were do the elites. That? No, I, I, you have to look at this in different terms. 
feudalism had a structure of, uh, of landowners and uh, great landowners and bankers. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and in, the, in this period, there was a very strong uh, uh, popular support for uh, the kind of projects and the kind of, of progress that uh, these men were leading. And so the, the ones who were the scientists, the best scientists at the time, and technological innovators and investors in these kind of brilliant projects, and a strategist like a Franklin, who had the same point of view as, like, say, Erasmus, or, or over in, in Europe, uh, uh, Leibniz, uh, the, the German philosopher. Uh, and there were people, some people like this in France as well. But the, this was the elite. The, this is, it, they did not have armies. They did not have billions of dollars. They were men of ideas, of sympathy, and uh, you have to, to get this, uh, to understand this, can a small force change history? Is, it, it, is that scientific to think that way? Mm. Think about a baby. When a baby is conceived, it's a almost, it's a microscopic thing to begin with. Uh, and then the, you could say that the entire uh, mother and father are are built to nurture this and make this the the future of the whole species. So it becomes it's so important. It's a it's a very little thing, but but all all of creation is is around this kind of uh, prospect and this kind of possibility of of beautiful de uh, strong development. So this here is an idea of progress. Yeah an idea of benevolence, love thy neighbor. How do you love your neighbor? You don't do it simply by taking a person that's already become poor and destitute and, and is in, in criminalized and brutalized and giving them something. You influence the way things are going to bring about a higher culture where people have opportunities, where people see beauty in their lives. You know that the canals, when they were built, were actually beautiful. Mm. They planted trees around there. They, they wanted to make things, uh, they wanted a beautiful life. That's not the factory system that came about later. Mm. But this idea of progress is our precious heritage in the West. And that was the power. These people in the city of London and the people in Wall Street never built any industries mm. the, in, in the United States. Edison was sponsored by pro-national progressive industrialists and politicians in Philadelphia in a war against Wall Street that tried to stop Edison developing the electricity. This whole story is completely blocked by historians and popular culture today that puts forward the name of Tesla as some sort of a magic word to banish Edison's role and to banish the entire history of how Wall Street tried to stop Edison and Edison fought to develop electricity just the way Franklin Roosevelt brought electricity to people at Wall Street stopped from having it. 
So this is the idea of progress in our culture. That's power. There's power. Yeah. So it's it's an idea that took hold in in certain people who had you know because who had the means to to at least get something off the ground, right? So there were certain people, in you know, certain relatively prominent people with enough means to to make things happen who who were kind of inspired by this idea, and they sort of they broke right. with some of the more negative-minded people, basically. So that's that's they kind had of to how... have, you have to make a you have to be able to make a profit in industry mm. in order to advance the industry. Yeah. But look yeah. at the change. Why why would somebody today in Washington and London promote the end of the world through nuclear war? That's what's going on right now. They're destroying civilization. They're pushing and betting that maybe they can get away with something uh, as the world gets closer to nuclear holocaust. Why would they do that? What what kind of thinking would that be? This is sort of the end result, as far as it can go, of the earlier thinking by people who said, well, we don't want to have long-term investments mm. in developing industry, in developing the capability to produce in the population. We, we don't want that. Now. We yeah. want short-term profits, and, and we're going to pretend or lie that this greed and this stupidity actually caused the success of our of our countries complete lie never happened that way yeah so this is this is a really important point because one of the one of the common pieces of mythology um, that stops people from having a different understanding of things and, and more positive vision of who we are and perhaps critiquing their current structure is that yeah i think it's it's generally receive wisdom that sort of imperialism and the wealth generation the economic machine and the imperialism of the west of britain and of america kind of came hand in hand right so it's interesting yeah. when you when you explore this history and you realize that perhaps um that it actually was forces who were not part of the city of london they did not sponsor it, it was people who had a different vision for the world and these innovations were co-opted you know purely i suppose they were co-opted to some extent or fully in england right so that we could grow up we could become powerful but then they were kind of subverted in terms of the, the ethics of them by creating these awful uh factory conditions and ultimately just sort of prevented from being spread around the world right so we we basically benefited them we kept them to ourselves even though the people that were ruling our countries didn't develop these ideas so it kind of helps you realize that it, it, it's quite an important point for people to grasp because it kind of it helps you reassess the our nature right and kind of what made us great um because we, well, yeah, yeah we seem to have to kind of st take those two pills at the same time like a we we've contributed to civilization and to the wealth of mankind to some extent but b that we have to, you know if you want to accept that role we have to also accept that we did all these terrible things in empire and people don't have the ability to separate them and that's what that's what you're suggesting that we can do right that we can well, actually di distinguish between those two threads the best way i have found to to discuss this is to get to some specifics i i, I think relevant to today's problem mm. I, I i want to contrast the the southern slave owners to the Lincoln administration in the, in the United States. And this involves Britain in a, in a major way. 
the South, especially after about 1830, was predominantly cotton plantations. The cotton was exported to England. 75% uh, of it went to England to, to support their factories. The Southern uh, elite plantation owners were for free trade. And they acted, when they came to dominate the US government, they acted to stop the development of US industry. They, they stopped uh, tariffs from being erected that would have protected the, the uh, American manufacturing from the cheap imports that came from these low paid workers in England. So this, the, these Southern uh, slave owners uh, had a kind of compact with the British system. Mm. They got cheap goods from England and they exported raw materials. And the United States was held down by this. Now, as this went on, the Southerners saw that they could not keep slavery going just in the places where it was because it exhausts the soil. It's not developing any kind of productive forces. It's a, it's a loser system. It's murder, basically. And so they needed to expand. And the way they did this was not only by going west with their slaves, but also attacking Mexico. They, they, they instigated the war against Mexico in 1846. Lincoln, as a congressman, said, this is treason. This is wrong. The president's lying about this war. They went to these Southern slave owners attacked Cuba. They wanted to spread slavery. They developed an army, more and more mercenary and underground armies and, and private armies that was built up to the point of, in 1860, they, they went into the attack against the United States of America. So this is an aggressive imperial, it's part of the world imperial structure with Britain. Mm. And it's also the, a slave empire they're trying to build up that would overwhelm and destroy the American Republic. Now, what did, what did Lincoln do? Lincoln and his best associates, like a man, Henry Carey, who was a nationalist uh, economist and, and a, a, a brilliant strategist for the country. So they developed strong tariffs, national banking, that is government control of credit, not as a socialist measure, but as a measure to promote investment in new industry. To and the wealth, they built yeah. railroads and they had uh, private investment by the same uh, political forces in Philadelphia and, and related places, they built up all kinds of new industries mm. uh, protected by, by the government. And, and, and Lincoln was dedicated throughout his life to that kind of progress. What happened when Lincoln took over as president was a, a sudden increase in America's industrial power that vaulted our country into the world leader of industry. They had been stifled under this free trade Southern Empire aggressiveness. What was the British Empire at that time? The, Southern, the, the, the clothing that used the slave cotton was sent to India after closing India's factories down, forcing them to take these shoddy British goods. Britain made other better things than this, but the empire was not giving the benefit of what Britain knew how to do well to these subjects of the empire overseas. That they had to grow, they were forced to grow opium, which the British brought to uh, China uh, and, and to try to uh, destroy their, their, their morale. 
This is a world system of which the Southern slave owners were an aggressive part in opposition to the United States of America. Yeah, this in is direct a... opposition, in war against, and the British government of the time, contrary to the will of the British people who more and more supported Lincoln, uh, just like many of these uh, good people back in the 1770s and 80s liked what America was doing, in, in the Englishmen, the best of them. So in the, during the Civil War, the, the British government tried to support the Confederacy, built their navy in England, uh, and bought their bonds, and, and, and they just were, were uh, they were not able to put it over politically. Yeah. So, so you, you have a situation where the southern slave owners, because they're just exporting raw materials, so they don't, you know, the, the average, let's say the, the price of the average good, right, the margins are quite small. So they relied on, um, they relied on slavery in order to run profitable businesses, right? Whereas if you actually have manufacturing, which create, which enables man to be productive, then you're, you're actually creating much more economic output and you can actually afford to give people good wages and stuff like that. And that was the... Yeah. That's that was, right. That was the model that the North Americans, a few, uh, or that the um, the the North, yeah. What do you call them? The 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 North Americans, the North American faction, as opposed to the Southern slave. American right? system. They had that expression. Yeah, the, the American, American system the comes American from system. Henry Alexander Hamilton and Henry Clay. Okay. Yeah. So there's a few interesting points there. One is that is for people to be aware that Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations was actually sponsored by lord shelburne right so right. um i'm sure many people many economists you know think of him as a brilliant economist and in, i'm sure in, in many ways he was but it's always really fascinating when you understand the context that different thinkers existed in and you understand um you understand the kind of the role they played and yeah so it's, it's kind of fascinating that he was there to rationalize the system of free trade can you see this probably not this is uh a it comes Not from, quite. let me take this out of here. This is better. Can you see this? Yeah, there we go. Maybe not. This is from a book. Poor I'll tell you what it is. It's the family tree of economics by a world famous American economist. He got a Nobel prize for being stupid. <laughs> uh, and so Sarah this Houston. is, yeah, you probably read him in, if you went to college and, and mm. studied economics. I did. So this, this is, it shows that ec, the, the profession of economics starts off from Aristotle, the Bible, and businessmen, comes down through various things to Adam Smith. He would be like, you know, Abraham for the for the Hebrews, right? So he yeah. is the earlier stuff. And then from him, you go down to David Ricardo and others, and there's a branch off to Karl Marx over here. So you now the green over here is communism, and this becomes classical Western economics. The United States is not here. Yeah. Alexander Hamilton is not here. So you are given this false dichotomy yeah. in what you're taught of communism versus imperialism. Yeah, what's, um, 
you know, speaking of a false dichotomy, um, you know, one of the things you mentioned was the, the national bank and infrastructure. And yeah. this, is quite, this is quite an important one today, because obviously today we've got this, um, there's this Bitcoin movement. And so there's this kind of Austrian deflationary school of economics. And then there's, That's right. and then there's a sort of Keynesian school of economics and, and inflation, you know, so we see how, you know, how destructive the central bankers and the Keynesians are who are running things. But then, so the kind of mythology is that, the, you know, the Bitcoiners are presenting is that, well, all inflation is bad because it just dilutes the national wealth because you're just creating more of, of something of, you know, fixed supply, you know, creating more demand without any supply. But what the kind of model that people like Henry Clay point out is that well if you actually create liquidity to fund infrastructure then you actually grow the wealth of the country and you don't create inflation and it's amazing how few people um on kind of my side of things still appreciate this um they they so they kind of think that they kind of when they see what the banks are doing now they kind of quite simplistically just revert go okay well i guess bitcoin or, or gold are the solution and they're going to save the world and it's another false dichotomy um, which doesn't, which completely freezes out any concept of, um, I guess, economic nationalism and um, use it and kind of sensible management of the economy by people who actually want the best for the for the long term, um, you know, for the right. long term good of the people. Yeah. But why do people think that way? That's that's what you have to get at, I believe. Uh, yeah, my book, interesting question. My book is focusing on the development of industry. The development of production and through inventions that give more powers over nature. Today, people are not sympathetic with the right of human beings to have a good standard of living, a material standard of living. Uh, remember the four freedoms of Franklin Roosevelt. The, the first thing you have to pay attention to is that people not die of hunger, that people have an adequate standard of living that their family is provided for. There's no sympathy for that today in, in, in the West. And that's of liberals who hate industry mm. and of conservatives who, who seem to think that people, uh, it's okay for people to die in hunger and so forth in, in some foreign country. And, and uh, if they're enemies of, of capitalism or something, I, I'm not sure. But, but what's missing is the idea that uh, industry and the elevation of production and productive powers uh, is, is the essential human right. That's yeah. lost because we haven't had it for so long. Look what Margaret Thatcher did in the 1980s. Remember what she did. It was she, what was the austerity? What was the, what was the, uh, the setting up of the offshore banks that she was so much involved in the, the, these, this, uh, uh, increasing of the power of these covert financier uh, instruments. The, the, the really big thing that she did was closing down Britain's coal mining. Yeah. And she was also, and whatever you think about global warming, she was the first British leader to put forward this concept that we have to stop global warming. Mm. And so she said, we're going to crush the British coal mining unions as a way of really crushing labor, we're not going to have that production power in England. We're going to import coal from Russia 
we have this nice set of thieves that we're putting into Russia. Mm. Uh, uh, it, it was going on even before the fall of the Soviet Union. But uh, this was the new model, was that Britain itself would not be this industrial power. This is insanity, right? This is, and yeah, this is done at the same time in, in the United States. Well, yeah, it puts us in this really tricky spot where, um, you know, our economies are screwed and we have no independence, right? We have no economic independence. We have a, we have a massive idle class, but we're not, but there's this huge um, specter suffocating the prospect of, of tackling that, which is this notion of climate emergency and the sort of general set of principles that are, you know, kind of widespread about how you need to tackle it, right? Because there's, we're now in the situation where like, if, if like it's terrifying for anyone to consider that Britain could develop industry because, oh, we're just going to end up polluting the planet and we need to be winding things down. So any kind of prospect of bringing back some of these principles is really neatly hemmed in by... That's by, right. that, yeah, by that those ideas and, and yeah and more generally if you look across the board it seems that they really their main strength is in subverting the thinking because you've mentioned That's right. you've mentioned economics and I, I i think there's some documentation of how a lot of the economic sciences were intentionally kind of subverted to benefit neoliberals and stuff like that so there's economic there's a simplistic you know thinking around economics which is that you know, it's either libertarianism or communism, but there's also kind of more generally, which is that um, this sort of, to simplify a little bit, the left and the right have been kind of taken on very different paths, right? So on the right, you're obsessed with libertarianism. You hate the state. Um, you're, you're an Austrian school, you know, Austrian school economist on the right. Um, or on the left, you're either, you either think that Karl Marx and total state control um, is the, you know, international socialism is the only kind of way you know kind of class consciousness and stuff like that is the only way you can tackle that's sort of old hat now right it's mostly the woke well yeah exactly so that's the one part but that has been hollowed out by the much more effective focus on on culture and on race and stuff like that so both sides are kind of blinded from seeing so yeah they're stopped from seeing the synthesis which is economic nationalism right which is yeah and so let me contrast yeah. uh, I, I want to get back to this question of sympathy mm. uh, empathy uh, based on uh seeing what you know the people in in poverty and in backwardness and how they uh have the right to have a better life uh, uh kennedy uh was friends with the president of ghana they developed the great dam on the volta river uh to electrify west africa uh, that was Kwame Nkrumah, a great leader. First, the first foreign head of state to visit Kennedy White House. Now, today, we don't agree with that. And the United States and Britain, uh, I know the United States, I assume Britain, is uh, supporting the revolt, uh, the Tigray revolt against Ethiopia. Uh, I think a half million people have died in this conflict. What's the crime of the Ethiopian government that we should support rebels against them and, and slaughter so many people? Their crime is that they have China in there helping them to develop high-speed railroads. And uh, the, in, in, uh, in, in East Africa, there are projects for uh, hydroelectric dams, great projects to improve 
the power for higher living standards for the people. There's no sympathy for this in the West. Therefore, the West has abandoned its own rationale and its own uh, 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 appeal to the rest of the world. The only way that appeal, that, that power is now being uh, 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 maintained is by bullying, bullying yeah. their own people. When they say that they are opposing uh, Russian uh, platforms, uh, to Russian, like they don't allow RT or Sputnik uh, to, be, to be broadcast. Who is, that, who is that controlling? They're controlling their own citizens in England and the United States and in, in, in Western Europe. That Americans and, 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 and other Westerners are not to be permitted to think about what is the, the value of civilization itself. What, civilization is for the improvement of the lot of the common people and also for the improvement of people that are not part of that civilization or not part of it yet. It's an outreach with the hand of friendship to those who are not in it. That defines civilization. That's not what we're doing now. Now we're going in exactly the opposite direction. There is no effort to improve the, uh, the physical or cultural life of the population of the world or of the West by right now by by western leaders no, it's just and about, in my view they are they're usurpers they don't they, they, there needs to be in general a regime change in the west to restore western values yeah i think this would, this would be a good time to talk about your your recent video on um your call to your appeal to americans about you know in light of what's going on in russia can you sort of just lay out what your what your message in that video was uh, um, there's a, there is a, a lot of fear to oppose uh, what's, what, what's being done. Recall that uh, the war uh, in the Ukraine could have been easily prevented by simply not egging on the Ukrainians and the Russians to have this war. Uh, uh, so uh, what I'm appealing to for those who uh, are, are horrified by the push for war that's coming from the Anglo-Americans. I'm appealing to them to address themselves to America and to England, to what we are fundamentally before the great change that occurred, the, the most decisive change that occurred in America was the death of President John Kennedy. Uh, which was certainly a coup d'etat. Uh, elements of CIA and Pentagon that he had incurred their hatred uh, in, in large part because he uh, wanted to have cooperation with the Soviet promoting, Union. He was probing a, yeah, promoting a different model for engagement with the world. Yes, for the whole world and, and also a different model going back to the Franklin Roosevelt and Lincoln and Hamilton uh, economic model of developing our own country for the benefit of its people. Uh, he wanted to uh, bring back the steel industry in the United States and the owners of the steel mills were opposed to it because they weren't steel men, they were financiers in Wall Street in London. 
So the, the change that occurred, the drastic change in America, the takedown of the industries, the, the, uh, the, the permanent war uh, footing, uh, the, the idea of uh, a post-industrial society, uh, the idea that uh, classical art and, cla and the most, uh, the, 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 those kinds of religious views that promote kindness, that promote genius, and that say that human beings are themselves born to be geniuses and to improve uh, uh, the ideas of everybody. Th this kind of thought is banished. And, and there's a deliberate uh, 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 introduction of ugliness as the heritage of mankind. And that that's the, all there was in the past, simply ugliness. Yeah, and this is, this is kind of reflected in, the, in you know, Darwinism and the way we're taught about biology and stuff like that, isn't it? It all kind of ties into a, to a particular it does. These way things, of seeing things. That's right. So my appeal then is for those... Uh, people across the line of left and right. I don't recognize that at all, because you're going to have to get people that are, that can think, uh, mm. despite the bullying. And uh, we have on our side the fact that China and Russia and and people working with them, even of the most uh, bad kind of uh, of government, uh, you know, that's affected by religious, uh, you know, fanaticism or anything. The, the people, Iran or, or other places are, are trying to do some good in terms of developing industry and science for their people. America and Britain, certainly America, used to help that kind of thing in the world. So uh, I, I'm appealing to those who want to stop the, uh, the, the forward march towards nuclear war to hold America to account for its own values. Mm. If you simply label the United States as an aggressor or rail against the American empire, or even whatever you say, stop the discussion with only the present era, you're lost because that's not the true history of anything. Well, that's, that's the thing is, is that when people are, if you, because people view things in such binary terms without an appreciation of this history and, and the kind of things that you're saying, if you're suggesting that people don't support, um, you know, support the U S then they're just sort of, then their simplistic answer is, well, what, what, you know, what's the alternative to our model? It's, you know, Chinese or Russian authoritarianism, right? So there's a couple of things that are wrapped up in that. Firstly, there's right. a misunderstanding of what Russia and China are and, and, and actually how they, how they work. And to the extent that that, you know, that wouldn't ultimately change things or to the extent that that wouldn't satisfy people. It's always much more compelling when you're looking to your old, to your own history for alternatives, right? right. For alternative vision. And, 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 and yeah, and we're not capable of doing that because we don't have any sort of appreciation. And the average person is just thinking, well, I, it's not ideal the route we're going down, but I mean, it's either this or, or kind of evil Russia and evil China and, total totalitarian control and there's no thought to the future right now in the west and by the yeah. western leaders and by people who blindly follow them who know know nothing about the situation mm. uh if you wanted to have uh, some effect 
on the behavior of countries overseas. The way you do that is you establish confidence between yourself and them. You establish a whole region of confidence around them, of peaceful development, of the progress of high-speed trains and city building and other kinds of technology. You have to uh, go for the idea of increasing the wealth of the world by developing new resources. uh, and, and, and sciences that would promote that, like a cooperative space program. People say, well, that's not practical because other countries are, don't agree with our way of life. Mm. Well, I, I, in, in, in reality, when China takes 750 million people out of poverty in their own and other countries, that is our way of life. Now, the Chinese Communist Party running the country and, and, and having surveillance on people is not our way of life. Well, of course, neither is having this dictatorial regime with these, these, uh, uh, these media, whatever you call them, social media and NSA and MI6 and whatever it is. And what's the, the G, GCHQ? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a unified structure uh, so this, this is not our system. This is not our way of life. This is something imposed from the top, and it imposes a continuation of what is wrong with other countries. Now, people have to understand this. This is very simple. It's, it's something that's been commented on for a long time. It's very well known. In Iran, if you want the I- Iran to become more uh, uh, democratic, more uh, a a part of the world culture. The obvious way you do that is by establishing more trade, more confidence building in the region. You stop the war between Israel and uh, her neighbors. You You, lower the tension. If you want, on the other hand, to maintain uh, a, a, a level of tension and craziness in and around a country with constant warfare, then you take only hostile measures and sanctions to get the people's back up, to get their back up and get them to be afraid of you and hate you. And that's the purpose of what's being done now. It's not to change Iran. Yeah. It's not to change Russia. It's to, to keep in place a, a kind of rolling offensive against the world's population so people don't challenge this usurpation and this over, overturning of Western values that's gone on in the West. Well, th- those, are some other, um, those are some other sorts of parts of common mythology which prevent people thinking towards solutions. You know, the first one is that it's sort of very simplistic, you know, liberal, the West stands for liberal democracy which is good and anything else is bad and anything else is you know anything else is authoritarian nationalist imperialism which is ironic because you know the forces of imperialist imperialism are strongest here so people are thinking well if the united states steps back then you're just going to have you know a bunch of crazy imperialists going trying to take over the world and we're going to go for world war three right ironically despite what's going on with russia people think in those terms they think that unless you have total dominion of liberalism 
um, a very skewed idea for what you know what liberalism is. But you have, if you have, unless you have total dominion of that in a unipolar sense, then you're just going to have um, you're going to have fighting, and and you're not going to you're not going to have you know anything productive. But your 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 vision is more of a multipolar order, right? Where independent states yes, collaborate safer. and they, right. and, and your and international security is assured through everyone's mutual um the fact that anyone, everyone benefits from each other right you all contribute towards a, a kind of growing of the global pie and that happens through collaboration and through the functioning of different sane states right rather than sort of um yeah that's right and and the the if you have franklin roosevelt's vision for a post-war order in the world was uh strong national sovereignty uh that was in the atlantic charter that uh churchill reluctantly signed but the british people were certainly for it uh and that was the idea that what we're fighting for is everyone to come out from being governed from abroad by some country that dominated them by force, which yeah. included Nazism and the British Empire. So after the war, what was the vision? That we would have the United, the nations, the United States, the United Kingdom, Russia, and China, predominantly those, and also in the future, India as a great power. Those countries would, in a sense, guarantee the peace of the world. Now, they would do that not only by uh, stopping people from starting wars and also by making sure we don't get uh, a massive arms race. You know, for example, sharing the nuclear secret uh, with Russia, that was a proposal by the leading Americans, which was shot down by the enemy uh, within our country. But the, the, the main way that you guarantee that peace in the world is by rapidly developing industry, science, modern conditions in Africa, in the Middle East, in South America, in South Asia, in West Asia, so that those countries are not uh, a, a hotspot for terrorism and wars and hatred and violence and, and resentment and disease that spreads everywhere, but rather that those places are, are able to uh, access their own heritage, uh, as China and India uh, obviously uh, are, would do, uh, and but other parts of the world, uh, that the common human heritage of science and and of uh, great advancements from ancient times, of astronomy and science and philosophy and and ways of life that can teach us things. So this idea of a multipolar world works best and, and is really based on the idea of really intense progress in industrial and scientific power and the skills and education of the population for production and for being part of a, wor a modern world that has increasing powers and is, is, is curious about the what's what's the secret of nature what's the secrets of the universe imagine children in the middle east and south asia uh, uh and other hot spots who saw the great powers of the world cooperating to develop high-speed trains and new cities and the space program would any of them join some terrorist group 
ridiculous. Why would they bother? This is much more exciting. And it's much more possible for them to have a good future, to raise a family. The whole idea of the family only works under those circumstances. You can't have families if you have a, 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 a terrible uh, you know, uh, refugee world. It, it, you, have to have, you have to have support by constant application to progress of industry and living standards to support the family, which is the basis of civilization. Yeah. And, and, and I guess the basis of, of this is having a, a can, you know, regime in these different states, which is committed to and identifies with the good of the people. Right. And so it seems That's right. Like, and, so, you know, it seems a critical piece of this puzzle and a critical battle is basically this is tackling this very um, simplistic idea of what nationalism is and the, and what the economy ought to do and what economic nationalism looks like and how that can be a positive force and how nationalism doesn't mean um hitler it doesn't mean you know terrible neo-nazis it doesn't mean um hate stuff like that that's it's very conveniently structured the you know the way people think about things the culture is very conveniently structured to just write that off completely and so people don't have yeah people just like we've discussed people are stuck in these really polar opposite positions and there's no synthesis there's no union between the good ideas on the left and right and it seems to me that the, the piece that's missing there is a true understanding of of you know of what the nation is and of what nationalism 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 is and how that is a force for good and how that's a positive sum way for humans to exist um yeah you have england has in, in its background uh, queen elizabeth the first She's certainly a nation builder, a nationalist for England. She's a Renaissance woman. Alexander Hamilton, the great nationalist American anti-slavery uh, 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 founding father, alluded to Queen Elizabeth as well as Colbert, the, the minister uh, finance minister for um, uh, King Louis XIV. So he had monarchies that he's pointed to in the past that were that had the mandate of heaven, as we would say, in, uh, in the East. Uh, they had the, those monarchies were were were, were had a, a good uh, report to heaven uh, because they were promoting the welfare of the population. Uh, and so it's there was this idea. There's a kind of a, a, an aspect of the word republic that means promoting the general welfare. Now, the, the advance that we had in the United States was a constitution that, that really enshrined the power of the government to do good and of the population to overturn it if it wasn't doing good. But, it, but this idea of, of, a, of, of the only government being justified is one which promotes the welfare of the population. This is a universal idea in the world. Mm. And, and this, this existed with the best of the monarchs. And I, I, you know, we, we believe that, uh, that monarchy can't be trusted to do that, quite obviously. And, and really, the real reason for that is, it, 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 I think, in the classic idea, is that it's, it, monarchs are, are surrounded by a class uh, not only of courtiers, but of nobility, 
and of others like bankers who are the real power as a partner with the monarchy and who are dedicated to a, a kind of self-interest that is consciously opposed to the welfare of the population. This is a very conscious decision mm. by a certain class of people. It does, I'm not talking about people with money. I'm talking about a philosophical idea that attaches itself in, uh, in, 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 in countries that we see through history, attaches itself to, uh, to rule uh, that, is, uh, that hates this, uh, this notion of, of the divinity of man, that the notion of that man is created in the image of God. They hate that idea because that's the basis for uh, people being a brotherhood in the world. We all have that same right. Uh, that's in St. Paul about the, that we're all of, of one blood. And this oligarchy in uh, London and Wall Street hates that idea mm. and blames this, this concept for interfering with their with their rule, with their power. So th yeah. this is where we have to go back to. In terms, yeah, and in terms of in the West, in let's say, you know, you're probably best placed to answer this in America. I'm sure you're aware. You, you could answer it for elsewhere. But where do you see? Obviously, the world has changed a lot, and this sort of Franklin, the vision of Franklin. You know, the world has changed a lot, and it's all got scattered. And we've we've mentioned how some of these ideas are nested on the left or the right. But they're kind of they're not kind of kept in any coherent they they're not, they're not unified in any coherent way, right? Anywhere, um, where is it you see? Obviously, Lyndon Larouche is a kind of quite a influential figure in recent history. Is he is he the most recent figure um, that we could point to in kind of Western or, or American politics? that was uh, pushing these ideas where do you yeah where do you find the roots of this what where where in the west gives you encouragement or where should we be looking i i was uh, in, in back in the 1960s i met larouche and uh was one of the founders of the movement associated with Lyndon larouche and uh developed our own um uh, intelligence and publishing capabilities uh and this was based on uh, first of all, criticizing the uh, the change, uh, he warned that the the uh, there was a strategy change by the financiers, uh, Wall Street and London, that went away from production and towards looting of the, especially the third world, and that this would lead to fascism. Uh, and then what we did is we studied. Uh, for, uh, based on criticizing all of the histor historiography and, and cultural work of, of the late 20th century, uh, we studied earlier history and earlier culture to see the, the, the really great achievements in the West uh, that, that were not, that, that were separated from uh, by this er erasing of history that was going on. Uh, and and uh, he, LaRouche had his own uh, contributions to economic science with uh, uh, the idea of uh, the relative uh, population density and how you advance 
the capabilities for uh, for human uh, power uh, uh, to 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 cause progress. But the uh, in my own work in in, in conjunction with uh, Larouche and with other people that uh, did independent work in in that association uh, was to uh, was to look at uh, the the accomplishments in, 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 in the West all the way through up until very recent times that this asserted itself again and again. Uh, now, and also that if you would just take any positive steps, this is what we really need to think about. Any positive steps to back away from the threat of nuclear war, if you simply address yourself to the nuclear threat itself to start with, uh, we the U.S. exited from the uh, treaties with Russia, uh, safeguarding against nuclear war. That was that's bad, right? Let's reverse that. Let's let's try to do, exercise a little bit of sanity. Let's make a compromise in Ukraine. Uh, uh, there, certainly, if he was, if Zelensky was encouraged to do that, they, they would from the outside they would. Instead of being egged on from the uh, from NATO and and the U.S. Uh, to to fight to the last Ukrainian. Uh, so, if we first of all backed away from nuclear war and said we have to live with Russia and China, don't try to force China to invade Taiwan. That's what's going on right now. Now, the new, the new mantra is China must invade Taiwan. That's coming from the West. Why should they be forced to do that? Why don't you just back off? Just leave it alone. And then once you do that, you start to think about and discuss what those countries are doing. You'll see them doing it. Hmm. They have projects. The Belt and Road project, uh, uh, system of developing uh, all throughout uh, Asia and into Africa and other, and even into South America. Why should not the United States and Britain participate in very lucrative and job-building projects throughout the world? Yeah. Why shouldn't we do that? That this is so much in our interest and so much towards once we are part of that, then the influence of our best values are brought to bear on Russia and China and any other country that we think is, is not doing what we think they should do politically. Yes. But by cutting ourselves off from them and heading towards nuclear war, are we really changing them or are we simply destroying civilization? Yeah, I mean, it's... in. It you know, nuclear war aside, it's in the interests of the average person, right? We are faced with, a, you know, the empire is putting all this pressure on Russia and China because they're overextended. They, that's the only way they know how to function, right? And they are, they rely on this large scale operation, you know, globally to finance themselves and the rest of it. And so um, with the average person stands to benefit from you know, it's a sort of new philosophy. It's a different philosophy that needs to take hold of the average person in the West. One of kind of generating wealth, because that's the only way we can get out of this rut, right? A, we, we, we need to kind of change who's in charge, but B, we also are, in, in, you know, in an economic death spiral. And the way that you do that is, um, 
is is kind of from the ground up and from different parts of society people thinking in a very different way about their role and about not only their own individual role but also the you know the role that america can play now what's frustrating is it seems that in many ways this is the spirit that is it's kind of sort of some of the motivating spirit if you're taking a less cynical view that it's driving what's happening in crypto right unfortunately crypto isn't really creating anything of value as far as i'm concerned i think there might be some useful applications but that kind of sense of building an optimism and a sense of building something better has right. taken hold of that and it's something quite special that's developing there but it's just quite tragic that it's being so <laughs> it's being so terribly applied right it's just being applied in such a pointless wasteful way but i just think it's interesting that that the kind of energy that has that permeates through the crypto space seems to me the cut the right sort of mentality the right this right sort of thing that takes you know that's taking hold and these and it's kind of reaching and it's reaching relatively influential people now it's just you know it needs to be actually that sort of philosophy and that sort of energy needs to be applied in in a more constructive way um but definitely that seems to be the the sort of the task at hand uh yeah um i wonder if um uh somebody uh looking at russia and china uh cares to see the changes that occurred in those countries and what that was about russia was uh, a communist system and it was also a uh, a military system, uh, especially after the Cold War started, uh, of dominating Eastern Europe as a buffer uh, to keep the Soviet Union from being interfered with from the West. And there's a terrible si system in, in Eastern Europe. When that changed, in the beginning, there was a, a, a looting by, by these billionaires and thieves that went in there, the so-called oligarchs. Then you had Putin and a regime came in that was not dominating Eastern Europe. Whatever you say about it, it was a change. There was a political change and there was a change in the purpose of the country towards recovering from this disaster economically uh, and the change in the power uh, in the world. So they wanted to reestablish Russia as a power. So this was a great change that occurred there. Same thing in China. Yeah. China had this ridiculous uh, uh, aspect during the 60s under Mao Zedong. Uh, there were some positive uh, developments, but uh, you, have to, you have to look at that in the whole history of their clash with the West. But there was a great change at a certain point mm. in China away from this kind of uh, a hysterical Jacobin uh, uh, nonsense, uh, yeah. similar to the '60s in the in the USA and and and, and Britain uh, of of the the sex, drugs, rock and roll. They had their own version of that, which is the Cultural Revolution, destroying classical ideas. So there was a change from that, emphasizing building up the power of the country to get into modern times and to have a great future as a country that would help civilization. As China in the past for, for millennia has had a, 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 an amazing positive role at times. 
and, and has, has this. So the, the change that occurred in those countries, if you don't pay attention to that, and you simply hurl insults at the countries and, and say, well, I'm not really insulting the countries, I just, I'm only against the leaders. That's why I wanna have a war with them. That's why I wanna destroy those countries with sanctions. No, no, you're, you're, you're not attacking the leadership, you're attacking these countries and you're, you're forcing your own populations in Britain and the United States to act from pure ignorance and hysteria. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good point that a lot of people, they have not clocked the transition that's happened in these countries. They still think China is communist and they still think, um, and you know, even the kind of more simple minded people still think kind of Russia pretty much is. They think Putin has kind of is taking a return to that sort of system. Right. And they have these old two enemies kind of just is very, yeah, these old two enemies kind of, um, looming. And so that's the first point. And the second point is, you know, these are countries that reform themselves in modern conditions, right? And so there is a lot to learn from what they've done. We, we obviously are different people. We have a different history. We don't need to copy what they're doing completely, but we should be looking there for ideas. We should be looking there for, um, for you know, to learn, right? We should be humble and we should be looking at what's going on there. And that, that does start with kind of dispelling some of these myths. Um, I think that's, this is all a, this is all a great note to, to wrap up on. I, I thought it'd be good to end with you just, um, well, firstly, obviously let people know where they can find you, but do you have a sort of final message for, for listeners? What would you like people to, to take away? Uh, well, I would like for uh, people in uh, Britain and people uh, elsewhere who are, you know, watching this uh, to look at the, uh, the beauty of our relationship to foreign countries and I want, I want to concentrate on the United States and, and you know the British have a, a, a their own way of thinking about uh, uh, their, their positive past as we've discussed. Both Lincoln and Franklin Roosevelt had partners in Russia. The, Lincoln's partner in Russia was a czar, was an autocrat, an absolute monarch mm. uh, and they coordinated to free the slaves the russians freed their slaves the day before lincoln was inaugurated they were directly coordinating russia sent their fleet to uh, new york and san francisco to protect against a potential in, during the civil war to protect against a potential britain and french uh, siding with the confederacy uh, so they, even though Russia had a bad government, a czarist form of government, we saw the potential in that country to have aspirations for modern times and for greatness, which, which is where we want to go. It's a direction. Same thing with Franklin Roosevelt and Stalin, mm. communist dictator of Russia. We had a partnership. And the Russians, Lenin and Stalin, even under communism, saw the best aspects of the West in terms of our, our progress, particularly the United States. Is Putin worse than Stalin? Right? Think about this. Yeah. Why did Franklin Roosevelt uh, uh, have a partnership 
with Russia, not just to fight Hitler, but to, uh, but to uh, have uh, the kind of world of the future that could, uh, that could make every country improve, including the United States. It, it, so uh, this idea that we have a, a heritage of beautiful relations between uh, the great countries of the world at, at our best, and that this heritage in the West is not just from loose thinkers and uh, idealists who were who are not practical, but it was from those, those leaders and those thinkers in the West who actually developed the power of the West and the success of the West. Mm -hmm. That kind of generosity is the only practical course. Any other course is suicide. And that's where all of the culture, England has probably better than anyone with Shakespeare and other authors, this, this uh, lesson about uh, the benefit to our own self mm. from generosity, that revenge and th these baser motives is suicide. And, and this is something that countries that are successful understand. Europe was saved by this point of view. In, in, in 1648, they had a treaty of Westphalia that stopped the religious wars based on generosity and national sovereignty. We recognize the other country is a sovereign country. We're not going to get revenge on them. That was a treaty throughout Europe to stop this, this insane suicidal religious war. That's the point of view we have to have now. We have to have the benefit of others in our mind. And it's the people who take care of their own country that think that way. The, the best nationalists in our history have been those who were generous and cooperating with other countries for their development as well. That's the fact of history. That's what we, we need to reflect on now if we're not going to murder our own children with, with a nuclear holocaust. Very well said. Very well said. And where should you, where should people uh, go to, to find out more about well, your work? Where would you like to point people? There's a, there's a website, whoweirebook.com. The book is called uh, Who We Are, America's Fight for Universal Progress from Franklin to Kennedy. You can get the book on Amazon or through a bookstore. But uh, go to that website and uh, get in touch with me uh, through that website or, or my uh, info at antonjakin.com. But uh, look on YouTube. I've got these videos there. Uh, and I'd like, to, I'd like to work with you some more. I'd like to hear about feedback. People should get in touch with you. You could forward me messages. I'll respond. We have to take a very active uh, 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 posture towards changing the conversation out of the left-right political spectrum, out of partisan politics, American politics, is, is completely insane. Trump and anti-Trump. People who are stuck in that don't care if the world goes to hell. They just don't care. They're, they're more interested in getting their rocks off about hating somebody. The hatred involved, whether it's hating Putin or hating Trump or hating liberals or hating something, they, they're not paying attention to the fact that they're killing their own family by doing that. So I want to I want to get feedback from people 
who are interested in taking steps to have a breakthrough because the public will support this. The public is not being benefited by the current regime. It's Nobody ultimately in everyone's this. interest, isn't it? Yeah. That's right. That's um, right. They don't get. They get nothing from these people who are ruling them now. They're driving everybody into poverty. Yeah, it's it's changing. It's changing people's minds and raising the quality of the dialogue and and um, deepening people's thinking. That is, you know, a critical step and is a critical first step. Um, and that's definitely what your book does. I highly recommend your book. There's um, there's some really fascinating history there and it and and like we've kind of discussed today it provides room to think of things differently to break out of these very limiting um these very limiting kind of dichotomies about about how you know which side you can pick and the rest of it um so anton this was very very special thank you very much for coming on um and yeah we'll be in touch i appreciate it Thank you for listening to that. If you enjoyed the way that I think about these issues, then you might enjoy Pith Weekly. So Pith Weekly is my blog, which I email out every Saturday morning, uh, somewhere where I share my latest thinking on metapolitics. And I also share some highlights of what I've read. I'm always digging through some really critical texts uh, in the area. Um, and it's, it's something which is um, the center point for what I'm doing. Uh, you know, the reality is we don't really know what's going to happen and what platforms people are going to be kicked off of over the next few months, whether YouTube, Twitter, whether Gab's going to take off, but that will always be there. My email will always be there. I will always be sending my, my best thoughts out and my best learnings out every Saturday morning. So I really hope some of you subscribe. You can find the link in the description. Um, and it'd be great to to have you as part of my community, as a node in my network. Um, so thanks again.